Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Shut up and sit down. All right, everybody, we got a great podcast here for you today. Today we're talking with Greg, Ernie, and Jared from Tethered, talking a little bit of saddle hunting. And uh, with this podcast, we took a little bit of a more functional approach, not your typical, this is your tether, this is your uh, bridge, this is what a saddle is. This is more for the guy who is interested in saddle hunting, maybe on the fence, maybe has some reservations or questions. So we kind of try to take it... um, in a little bit different direction um, and kind of talk uh, uh, about the main frequently asked questions um, these guys get as well as um, a little bit of information about the company and, and, and kind of uh, how, you know, a little bit of the, how they got into uh, saddle hunting and where the company came from. Um, so real excited to bring you this one today. I hope you guys like it. And uh, if you do, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're at. We're still at uh, 41 reviews on itunes we've been there for like six months so you know i know that there's a lot of people downloading i know that there's a lot of people listening so if you could please leave us a review give us a rating on whatever platform that really helps us out i mean right now we're 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 trying to get to a thousand likes on facebook we're at like 997 as of right now um and we've got 41 reviews so you know if one or two of you could help us out with that that would be great um and you know follow along with us on instagram that's probably where we're most active everything that goes on instagram goes on facebook as well Um, but we're going to be doing some more uh we got some things coming on facebook where we're going to start some streaming and kind of go back to the video that we started at the very very beginning of this um that's going to take a little bit of time but I'm, i'm working hard on that right now um and uh you know thank you to our our patreons we had a new patreon um, from green bay wisconsin bob you know we really do appreciate it you can find that link on the bowhunterchronicles.com website 
is bullhunterchroniclespodcast.com, but the links will be on Instagram and Facebook. If you guys want to check that out, if you like what we're doing, you want to help out the show, you want to help us push forward into a little bit more of that video or, or something like that, um, please, you know, don't hesitate to do that. We we do really, really appreciate it. Thanks again, Bob. And um, this weekend, August 17th, I'll be up at the Michigan Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous, um, and I'll have a bunch of koozies and things in my backpack. I'm going to be doing some podcasting up there. John's going to be out of town. I'm going to try and get Frank to come up there with me and kind of uh, hang out and, and, you know, hopefully meet a bunch of the listeners. And uh, I'm going to have a bunch of koozies. So if anybody sees me walking around or, you know, wants to come up and say hi, I'll have some some koozies and uh, I'll, I'll hand those out to you as uh, you come up and and uh, say, you're, say you're a listener. You know, we really do appreciate you. And if nobody listened, um, we'd still be doing all this stuff, but uh, we just... I don't know. I don't think we'd be quite as motivated. So as much as the, you know, we hope that we're helping you out. Um, you know, we do appreciate each and every one of the listeners and, uh, really excited for this episode and I hope you guys really enjoy it. So thanks again for listening. Um, you know, if you see me this weekend, come see me, get a free koozie. Thanks. Hey everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Adam and John here. Um, and on the other end of this line is a podcast that's taken a long time. It's been a, it's been hard fought um, to get. Uh, we want to talk a little bit of saddle hunting, and I've uh, been going back and forth with uh, Greg, uh, G Two Outdoors, um, Tethered uh, for uh, about two years now. I think since two Februarys ago, um, we've been talking podcasting, and it just hasn't come together. And uh, so today we've got the opportunity to talk to Greg, Ernie, and uh, Jared Schaefer from Tethered. So how are you guys doing today? Doing really well. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, We're coming back from uh, from Iowa, actually. We spent the day with the hunting public down in Iowa and got to hang out with those guys and talk saddle hunting. So you, uh, you're actually catching us in the car right now. So if you hear any weird sounds or anything, that's just Ernie crashing the car. So don't <laughs> be too alarmed. <laughs> So, um, to this point, I think, um, and I think you guys are a big, a big part of that. I didn't want to have a a podcast now and say like, well, what is saddle hunting? And, you know, I I think, you know, you guys know, and anybody that's listening that wants to know about saddle hunting, that wants to buy a saddle, that wants to get into it at this point has realized, you know, there's a few places that you can go and, the you know there's there's the popularity has boomed so much that there's wait times and there's all sorts of this this other stuff and uh, so what I wanted to do today was kind of talk to you guys about um, all of the maybe frequently asked questions or learning curves or the things that you guys have seen throughout your many many years of uh, saddle hunting and kind of what the the barriers to entry are what the learning curves uh, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but first, uh, let's just get kind of a background on, on your guys's, um, your history with saddle hunting and, uh, the company of tethered, because, uh, talking to Greg earlier, I've, I told him, I said, you know, I really like everything about your, uh, company because you guys are a hundred percent saddle hunting first. I mean, on the saddle hunting forums on Facebook and, and everything like that, you guys are on there daily making recommendations and looking at people that are doing stuff 
um, on their own and maybe making recommendations of saying, Hey, I tried that and it, this is what I found, or that doesn't really look safe. You're not saying just buy my stuff. Um, so that's one of the things with all the experience that I really enjoy. And so, you know, kind of, uh, panel wise, how, how do you guys, uh, get into saddle hunting in the, in the, the history behind of tethered? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, saddle hunting at its heart, I think the core of it is, is a group of DIY guys who just like to tinker and make stuff. Right. And we're no different. I mean, that's the stuff we really like to do. Um, so basically the way tethered kind of came along is at that point in history, there weren't a lot of options. There weren't a lot of, uh, commercially available products for the saddle hunter. And, uh, a group of us got together and said, hey, we're, we're tired of having to shop Craigslist and shop all these weird places to, to make our own stuff. Let's see if we can't uh, make make something that for the masses that we can use. And we'll just basically split the cost up between the six or eight of us and, and we'll have something that we can use. And uh, as that kind of grew and moved, it, it exploded, ended up being tethered and uh, you know, it was two separate projects. I was working on a platform, uh, while Greg was working on a saddle and, and one day over the phone, we'd kind of just said, all right, let's make the, the all in one saddle hunting shop. We'll have both offerings and, uh, who knows, maybe we'll sell 50 of these things and we'll be in good shape. And, and then now we are here today. You want to talk to Jared, talk, talk about your saddle hunting experience? Yeah, sure. So I, I started saddle hunting back in 2014, just out of, you know, necessity, basically just trying to lighten my load because I was carrying a heavy climbing stand and I was filming all my hunts. So, you know, I, I dove down that rabbit hole. And uh, I think at that point, the forum, the saddlehunter.com forum, it just kind of got started. And, uh, you know, it was me and Greg and Ernie and a couple other guys in there that, you know, we were just constantly sharing DIY ideas and you know, it just kept evolving from there. And, um, you know, when Greg decided to, to launch his saddle and start tethered, you know, he called me up and said, Hey, do you want to, you want to test a saddle for us? And, you know, how can I turn down something like that? So I jumped in with him, and that's, yeah, it's been crazy ride ever since. Yeah. It's really Jared has been there since the beginning of tethered. Um, shortly after Ernie and I, like he talked about, decided that we were going to try to make this thing work, Jared was one of the first phone calls that we made because he's super crazy talented and um, he's a killer. He's got a lot of experience in a saddle and it just made sense for him to come and and join the team. And Jared actually just started uh, August 1st. As we record this, it's the 6th. And August 1st was his first day as a full-time tethered guy. So now he's officially on the team um, as from a from a page perspective too so not just donating his skills and talents anymore so that's pretty cool that we've taken this idea like Ernie talked about and and it has gone from a bunch of dudes online talking about saddle hunting trying to make the perfect stuff to now where we're able to make it a real thing and the people that helped start the business they're the ones that are gonna join in and and make it a lifestyle which is pretty cool and so uh not to put you on the spot but um 
with with tethered um and starting a new company and starting a company that is um i, I guess everything that you guys make and do is 100% safety related right so how do how, how do you guys deal with that aspect of it when you know there's a lot of i mean I, just thinking of the flack and everything that i get you know reading from you know, on the uh, forums and things like that, where there's one company or two companies that have been around for a long time. And, you know, people are saying you're going to put your, your life on the line with these guys that have just, you know, never done this before. never had any uh, of that. I, I understand that you guys have been doing this for a long time, but what is the like quality control and everything that goes into uh, something like that? And this, this, the safety, how, how do, how do you deal with that? Well, there's, there's several things. Um, one, we're only using premium materials, uh, like our Amsteel bridge, for example. That stuff is uh, rated at almost 8,000 pounds, uh, and with the way that we're using it, you would never, ever see 8,000 pounds, right? It's, uh, it's just not reasonable. Um, you know, there were questions that people had about, well, you, you can't have the, the bridge folded over a carabiner. It's too tight of an angle. So we, we tested it. We uh, took it to an independent test lab, and we put a carabiner through the bridge, and we put another carabiner through the bottom, and we pulled. And we're like, okay, let's see what happens. Well, at 5,000 pounds, the carabiner exploded. Uh, so then we had to, to beef up our testing equipment to get something bigger than the load rating that was on the carabiners. And eventually, we broke that bridge at 11,000 pounds. Your body would not survive an 11,000-pound impact. You'd never be able to drop hard enough to damage that bridge. Um, all of the seatbelts that are used in our 2-inch webbing are rated at 5,000 pounds or more. The 1-inch uh, webbing is rated at 3,000 pounds. Uh, we've had this uh, saddle. We've been down to uh, a TMA test lab. And we've gone through some of the testing that you would normally go through for a TMA saddle. I mean, last thing we want is somebody to get hurt, right? So safety is a main priority. And I think another big thing about safety is instruction. If you don't know how to use your equipment properly, that's when people get hurt. Um, you know, there is a lot of DIY stuff out there. And there's a lot of, lot of things that, you know, I think are probably a little risky. Uh, and we try and steer people away from that, but it's at the end of the day, we're using quality materials. We're using quality sewing shops. Um, it's just different, right? I mean, it's a different mindset because just because it's lightweight, just because it's ultra mobile, um, doesn't mean it's not safe. It just means that we looked at it differently. The other um, thing is that we're, we've been totally transparent through this process. You know, as far as I can tell, there's, no one that's ever published the videos of them testing equipment to international standards. It's it's not like we just come up with a rating and say, yeah, hey, let's make this saddle or this platform or this whatever. Let's make it pull to 500 pounds. All right, that'll be awesome. That's not how it works. There's international internationally recognized testing standards and facilities, third-party facilities like Ernie talked about, that you, you pay for. You pay to purchase these specs and to go to these facilities and execute testings uh, done by an independent third party. 
that's the kind of stuff that we're doing to make sure that this stuff is is strong and safe and well made. Uh, and I, I, frankly, there's really nothing else we could do. I mean, we've tested everything to failure. It's 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 as safe as could possibly be, um, and we're happy with that. Well, it, yeah, and, and mainly that's one of the reasons that I ask because it, it's a double-edged sword because it's everything is online. Everybody's a safety inspector online, but they're the same guys that hunt out of a $30 Walmart stand and they leave it up for two years and still go back, but they're, yeah. they, they got to bash somebody. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I just thought I wanted to, you know, going into the, the, the whole, like I say, overview of questions about saddle hunting, right? So, like I said, you guys are a big part of, I think, why it's more in the mainstream or more in the view of this mobile hunting type setup where five years ago or whatever, it maybe was a real small niche thing. I mean, you guys probably know, but like the, I can, I can only picture the guy in the back of the outdoor life and the little, um, for sale section or whatever, where there was a guy in a tree and it was a, like a black silhouette and a guy leaning over with some webbing. And that's the only thing until, you know, maybe three or four years ago when I saw some of, uh, Garrett Prawl's videos that saddle hunting even like came into the fray. Um, and so now it's, it's, it's everywhere, but everybody's an expert on it. And so for you guys who are experts, you know, we're as close as you can get to, uh, something like that nowadays with, with saddles, um, what are some of the main questions that you get? I mean, some of the questions that we got asked when I put it something out there is like, what about different body types? So bigger guys and, um, you know, everybody wants to know, is it comfortable? And then like physical fitness levels, like getting up and down the tree and, and, and things like that. Uh, so what have you guys seen in, in the people that you've put into saddles, the guys that you've introduced to saddle hunting and, uh, maybe things that you've seen along the way yourselves? Yeah. I mean, comfort is probably the number one thing. I mean, guys look at it and they, you know, guys that come from tree stands and they automatically say, well, there's no way that could be comfortable. So, you know, it's, we've just been really trying to educate people on, on, on how to use a saddle basically and how to set it up for your, your body type. And, um, you know, that's, that's probably the main thing that we see is just, um, misinformation that's out there and trying to, uh, you know, just get that, get that info out there, um, just showing that you really can be comfortable and it just takes a little bit of, you know, adjustment, a little bit of practice. Um, safety is, is definitely the, uh, probably it may be bigger than, than comfort. Greg, you want to talk about the, you know, the, the safety aspect that people question? Yeah. People often ask, you know, there's a handful of questions. Is it comfortable? What do I do with my feet? How do I shoot out of it? You know, it can't be safe. I'm going to fall and I'm going to die. And we've all heard those questions a thousand times. And Ernie, as he's been going through the trade show circuit over the last couple of months, he's probably fielded that question in person more than anyone else in this in this conversation. But I've been asked hundreds of times online on my YouTube channel and on SaddleHunter.com and on social media those same questions. And Jared hit the nail on the head. You really you really can work through all of the objections or the cons or the negatives or 
the the insecurities that you might have about saddle hunting if you're willing to keep an open mind and try new things and give it a fair shake. In 15 or 20 minutes in your backyard, six inches above the ground, you can work through pretty much all your questions. You can figure out how to shoot. You can figure out how to move the, the saddle around on your body and to adjust your tether length to make it comfortable. You can flip upside down and test the safety. You can do all of those things in really just a few minutes in your backyard if you're willing to give it a try and if you're willing to keep an open mind to, to learn something new. It's really not that complicated. I tell people all the time that there's definitely a learning curve and there's a learning curve both physically and mentally. You have to get your body kind of used to it, what I like to call saddle shape, um, which doesn't really mean how fast can you run a mile or how many push-ups you can do or how much can you bench press. But when you hang in a saddle as opposed to sit on a metal tree stand, the geometry and the physics, it's just different. So it takes a little bit for some people's bodies to get used to it, and I call that getting in the saddle shape. And there's also the mental aspect of it, of learning a new thing, of trusting your gear, of keeping an open mind. Those can all be negatives if you're if you're not willing to try and uh, and to keep an open mind. So on that saddle shape thing, one of the things that I've um, encountered, I guess, and I'm I would say that I am not in saddle shape, um, but in the experience that I've had practicing, you know, in doing this, one of the things that I've found, and, and this I think is probably another one of the questions that you guys get more often than not is what about bridge height when i've talked to uh aaron blicey he lives over by john eberhardt and was introduced to saddle hunting long ago and so he was hunting out of uh, trophy line saddles for you know 10 15 years or whatever and uh he said that he was always taught you know as high as you can reach or and now it seems like it's it's lower um, and it's gonna ultimately depend on comfort but for me one of the things that I've noticed and maybe I'm doing everything ultimately wrong is like where I'm comfortable, I have a real hard time like standing up straight because I'm like leaned back and then I have to like almost like lean forward to the tree and then stand up and let the weight off of the tether um, to to stand up. And that's something that really was difficult for me. And then one of the other things that I wanted to ask like with – um, you know, it probably falls right into that same conversation is like the curvature of trees, leaning trees this way or that way. I mean, obviously you're going to get as level as you can, but the tree maybe not be level. So one of the things that I've found, and like I said, my setup probably wasn't set up perfect and it's going to be one of those learning curves, but like Man, some of the times when I was set up, like if I lean too far, it's like I am going to fall and swing around. <laughs> and maybe that's into the trusting your gear thing, but it's definitely right there. So, I mean, that sort of stuff, how do you <laughs> – for for someone who gets one the first time and, and, you know, there's a million guys online that say, well, I got a saddle and it's not comfortable and it's, you know, so scary and all this stuff. And they, I think that's the not open mind person. Um but like how those things are things that I've encountered in the, in the short time that I've been in a saddle that I'm working through. So do you have any tips for, for those types of things? Yeah, I think that's one of the negatives about saddle hunting is that 
you can't go to to Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops or you know insert sporting goods store name here. You can't go there and talk with a knowledgeable per, uh, person that can walk you through the setup procedures, that can walk you through the the pitfalls that are common to people that are learning the system. If you wanted to buy a tree stand, you could go to any one of those sporting goods stores, and that guy or girl who's helping you, they could explain you know what they're hearing from customers about the comfort of this particular tree stand, or you can find you know this one or that one. And there's lots of resources available for how to get comfortable in something like that. Whereas you don't have that opportunity with a, with a saddle hunting setup. You've got to buy one or get a buddy that's got one, and hopefully one of you have figured it out or you know it's really intuitive or you just get it right away. But it's definitely one of the cons that you there's it's that, that learning curve exists and that it's not easily over uh, or easily you, know, you can't overcome it that easily for some folks. Now some of the tips that I would say, you know, reference to your specific situation is most likely it's a setup. It's a setup problem. It's you may have your tether too high. You may not have enough slack in your tether. You may be wearing the saddle too high or too low on your body. I would guess that that that's the most common thing that we see and that we're able to help people with is generally people have the tether too high and we tell them we tell them to move it down. And that fixes a lot of it. Or they have the saddle too high up on their waist where the top the top belt of the saddle is up equal to or higher than where they would well wear a belt. And that's generally too high. Most people find it more comfortable if you slide it down more underneath your butt. But those are real common things. And if you were with me at a tree or with a knowledgeable person, we could fix that in like two minutes and you would have it solved but for most folks they don't have that resource and that's a that's something that's difficult to overcome and so with that how do you as a a saddle hunting community uh what's going on to kind of uh you know you guys are direct to consumer everything seems to be you know direct to consumer and uh so so how does how does one go about that i mean uh, i know I believe on the the saddlehunter.com forum there's a a map that shows where people are and you know kind of a, a networking thing um but how, I mean how do you overcome that because that is the the problem or is there any way that you can replicate that at home before you you go there and it, even going to a show you're going to be able to get in it and sit in it for a few minutes and then you're going to either have a terrible experience depending on who showed you or, you know, you're going to, you're going to buy one if, you know, if they're available. Yeah. So one of the things that we've been doing a lot of is we've been sponsoring uh, saddle demo days and we've been doing them all over the country where uh, somebody will organize an event at a park, at a uh, piece of public property, etc. And invite people to come try on saddles, do a little bit of community networking and get some education there so that basically people can come and try everything on and and work through some of their hiccups in a group setting with people who have already kind of ironed out all the bugs. Uh, That's one of the most effective ways that uh, we've seen at this point. You can also, you know, 
go to any of the YouTube channels or any of the other uh, social media things where there's all kinds of instructions. But your learning curve is a lot steeper by yourself. If you can get somewhere where somebody can look at you and be like, yeah, I see your problem. Here's how you fix it. Uh, that's going to be the best way. And, and honestly, the thing is, the more saddle hunters we get out there in the world, the more of those resources are going to be available. More likely than not, you're going to have a friend who's figured it out. You know, as this keeps growing and growing, you're going to know more and more people who have gotten over the hump, know how to get these things adjusted. And so I think that that problem is, is kind of a short-lived problem. I really think that as this style of hunting expands, it won't be so hard to learn all the details. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I've i seen a few of the um, the ones pop up here in Michigan. Um, you know, one of the moderators there, Andrew Blair, is a Michigan guy, and uh, he's put on at least one, but I think there was two here in Michigan. Uh, but is there any way, I mean, where would you go to find one of those if you weren't in your local saddle hunting group or, or something like that? Is is that something they can find on the tethered page? or Probably the best place is uh, either the Saddle Hunter Forum, uh, you know, saddlehunter.com, or there is a Saddle Hunter Facebook page. Uh, those are the two biggest places to find like-minded individuals and find these people that are putting on these demos. Uh, you know, saddle hunting still kind of a niche, right? It's still, we're still kind of the nerds in the room that are doing this on the side. And so you got to kind of go to the math classroom where the nerds are to, to find them. It, but you bring up a really valid point is that that is the main con to me or main negative when I think about the things that make it difficult for people to learn about saddle hunting or to get into it i think the accessibility to gear and to uh experienced folks that can help them out is a big deal now imagine you got a climbing tree stand you just bought one online you had nobody there to show you the ropes and the pitfalls and and you just walked out and you were trying to figure it out for the first time it would take a little while to figure it out and it's no different with this. I would say, I would say six out of ten folks that that get uh, get into saddle hunting, it kind of clicks right away. My brother was one of those one of those six. He, I sent him a saddle. He was going to go to Kentucky uh, on a rut hunt last year, and I said, "All right, Bobby. Now, once you get this thing, you need to make sure you set it up in the backyard and you you." play with it and practice with it, figure out your tether height, figure out how everything works before you go off to Kentucky and hunt out of this thing. And of course, he didn't do that. He got the saddle, threw it in his pack and drove out to Kentucky and hunted with it for a week. And he called me, you know, after the second day and he's like, Greg, I don't know what you're talking about. This thing was awesome from the moment I put it on. I never had the first issue. It was just, I took to it like a duck to water. And I did not have that experience when I got into saddle hunting. Uh, so six out of, six people out of 10 get it right away. Three out of 10, it takes a little bit of time. I was one of those three where I had to figure it out. I was uncomfortable in the beginning, but I understood the advantage of it, the advantages that were so superior to a tree stand. In my opinion, they were superior. So I stuck with it. I figured it out. I fought through the, uh, the uncomfortability uncomfortability of it and um i I, that just that was 
how it worked for me. Then you're going to have one guy out of 10 that just either doesn't give it a fair shake or you can't get the hang of it or for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. Um, that's, that's okay too. You know, it's not for everybody. Just like some people can't imagine using a climbing tree stand because they feel totally unsafe or they can't sit on a lock on tree stand for more than a couple hours because their back hurts or their legs hurt or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's just, everyone is so personal and it's hard to say, you know, this one system fits everybody, you know, wear your saddle in this specific place, tie your tether at this specific height, make sure it's exactly this length and then it will magically work. It's just so personal. The trees change, the angles change, the seasons change with your clothes. And so there's just too much, uh, there's just too many variables to be able to say this is a one-size-fits-all in every scenario. With uh, that that whole thing and, and all of your guys' experience there, and uh, maybe I'll direct this one to, to Jared. I know a little bit of the backstory on Greg and Ernie, but like for Jared, what's one of the main things that you've learned saddle hunting and, and what kind of pushed you to saddle hunting and then through that what made you kind of adopt that as the the go-to and now uh lifestyle and and employment yeah so like i said earlier i mean i started saddle hunting in 2014 just to try to reduce some weight you know i was using a api climbing stand and that and with all the camera gear that i was carrying you know i was pushing over 40 pounds and uh you know i hunt the mountains of west virginia so just carrying all that weight was just, it was just getting to be too much. So I actually started with a Guido's web, which is actually, it's the heaviest saddle setup you could, you could get. And, uh, I saw the benefits of it right away. I hunted with that for a season. Um, the next year I switched to a, uh, an arrow hunter evolution. I, uh, I messed with it and it was just a little bit too bulky for me. So I actually hunted the rest of that year, just using the top, belt of that saddle just sitting in it like a sling and uh i really found that i really like the uh the mobility and the the weight of that and uh just from there i just kept you know trying to go lighter and smaller and i was really learning you know the benefits of the saddle mobile hunting um you know i was i was learning that i could get into a lot more different trees i could hunt you know closer to where the deer are bedding at just because it's quieter so you know as i got into lighter and you know more mobile setups with the saddle you know i saw my success go up you know i started killing more mature deer um you know having multiple opportunities in a season so i've just i've always seen the benefit of it and um you know i've certainly had days where it was uncomfortable just because of a tree issue or just I just wasn't doing it right but I've always seen you know the value in it and, and work through any issues that I've had just because I, I think it's you know for me anyway it's 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 the best way to hunt for my style and uh, I mean I've since sold all my tree stands and I can't ever see myself going back you know to a conventional stand I mean even after doing it for so many years, I've, I've cert, I still have days where I'm uncomfortable just because of the way the tree leans or I have to get in a weird spot in a tree. But, um, 
when it com- when it comes down to it, I mean, I'm setting up to kill a deer. I'm not setting up to be comfortable. But you know, if you do it long enough, you you learn how to work through all that stuff and uh, and how to make it work. And so, when you first started out with that that uh, that Guido's web setup, um, was there any sort of um, switching back and forth, or did you jump right in? Uh, one of the things that uh, I did and, and John did last year as well is. You know, we committed to the 100% standing sticks. I mean, I actually sold my climber because I knew that I would fall back on it. I would get lazy and I would I would use it. Um, and I've heard, um, like I said, the DIY sportsman Garrett Peral talk about he was back and forth, back and forth, and until he 100% committed for one season to the saddle. And I don't know if it's just that uh, falling into that comfort thing or what you're used to uh, but were you able to just take it and run with it the whole season or did you have like you know those I got what you call relapses with the tree stands <laughs> yeah that didn't happen for me um, when I when I commit to something I mean I'm gonna do it all the way I'm gonna figure it out come hell or high water so I I jumped right in I sold every single stand that I owned the same week that I got the saddle I was I had researched it that much um, you know, I was familiar with everything and this is back when information really wasn't available. I mean, I'm looking through old archery talk threads, um, just very limited resources when I started and I had convinced myself that it was, it was going to be the way to go. And, uh, I sold, sold everything, sold my stands that week and fully committed to it. And, uh, it was certain I, there was certainly a lot of learning that season. I, the very first time I hunted out of the web, I had a really nice buck come in directly behind me, and uh, I wasn't able. I couldn't draw my bow back. I was in kind of a funky position and couldn't draw my bow back, and he got away. But uh, you know, I just stuck with it and practiced more, and uh, you know, just fully committed to it. I actually have not hunted from a traditional tree stand since then. And with the saddle um, and the filming, um, have you seen added benefit to, I mean, that's one thing I've, I've heard a, a lot of good things about filming from the saddle. Um, it seems like if you were a cameraman, it would be the 100% end all be all as, as the best setup. Um, because you could completely move around. Um, but in my limited experience, like I said, having all of that stuff, you know, it's, it's new to me having the bridge in front of me and then the camera arm and then the camera and then on what side, how high above the bridge, below the bridge, etc. So what tips would you have for guys that are uh, going to be filming out of a saddle? Yeah, I mean, I've never had any issues filming from the saddle. It's just a, a little bit different setup, and you need to work through your system to, to see how it's going to work for you and, you know, how you prefer to set up your, your shooting lanes. So for me, I'm a, I'm a right-handed shooter, so I set my camera arm, um, you know, about 3 o'clock on the tree, just above knee height. Um, that way, if I'm shooting to my left, which is my strong side, you know, I pass the camera arm between the tree and myself underneath of my bridge, and I can film that whole left side. If I have a shot out in front of me, I can swing the camera around the tree and film all of that. And, um, 
I mean, there are a couple tricky angles, you know, to the weak side while you're self-filming. But, you know, the same goes for a tree stand as well. You're going to have a weak side there where you have to, you know, potentially run the camera arm around you to film to that side. So I don't think that there's there's any there's more problems filming from a saddle. It's it's honestly about equal. It's just a different setup process. Um, my camera arm base is actually an important part of my system because I can hang my backpack off of it. Um, I don't use knee pads. I use a small XOP C pad and that actually hangs off of the strap that goes around the tree for my camera arm. So the camera arm is kind of pulling double duty. You know, it's a gear holder. It's my, it's my knee cushion holder. So, um, you know, it actually works out better for me because I can use it for more than one, than one thing. And you talk about that uh, pulling double duty. Um, you guys have some new offerings coming out from uh, Tethered that haven't been available before. And uh, the one it looks like only one of them is out right now. The one I'm looking for is just the regular gear hanger strap that Greg says you can make for $2 or whatever if you have a sewing machine, which I don't. Um, so what are some of the others, you know, you've got the, the new uh, mini versus straps out available right now online and, and things like that, but other types of that multiple purpose gear and things like that, what have you got uh, coming out new from Tethered this year? Yeah, we've got three coming out uh, this fall. The you, you, you hit two of the three, the the Versa straps, which are awesome. Our chief designer, Carl Kasuth, he, he designed the Versa strap and um, we took it to the next level like we do at Tethered and we made it ultra light and packable and super crazy strong. Uh, it's The Versa strap is basically what it's really intended for is it's basically a replacement for buckles and, and heavy straps for climbing sticks. So you can get rid of that buckle that weighs you know four or five ounces and replace it with a Versa strap, which is a daisy chain style strap. There's three different options for Versa straps. There's the Mini, which is out right now. Um, there's the Standard, and there's the polyester version. So the Mini and the Standard, they're made from the same material. It's an ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene. It's the same material that we make uh, our Amsteel bridges from. Super crazy strong. The, the braking strength on the Mini and the standard are around 1,500 pounds. It's incredibly strong, yet it only weighs an ounce. So you can save nearly a pound by getting rid of, rid of your heavy buckles and, and polyester straps and switching over to Versa straps. Now, the polyester version, it's still really lightweight. It only weighs only slightly more than an ounce, but it doesn't have nearly nearly the strength. It breaks at around 800 pounds. So not quite 50% reduction in strength, but uh, a significant reduction in strength. Now, do you need more than 800 pounds to use on a climbing stick? Uh, probably not, but it's it's still a matter of, you know, if you can get something that is just as light yet way stronger, you know, I'm going to pick the thing that's uh, way stronger. But that's the Versa Straps. It's a really cool product, really versatile. You can use it for a lot of different things, um, and that's that product is out now. We've also got what you mentioned the the his strap the hys strap that's coming out here in just a couple of weeks on our website and that is a public land uh, legal gear hanger system which is it's 
real similar to a molly system where you would strap this row of webbing around the tree and then you can, you're free to hang your gear in whatever way suits you. I like to hang my bow on the left-hand side of the tree, my pack on the right, and then I put my rangefinder, my grunt call, and stuff like that right in front of me. And that makes it really easy with the HYS strap. That's a product that I kind of came up with a couple of years ago and was just sewing them in my in my house on my little $100 Singer sewing machine. It's super simple. I mean, if you've got a ratchet strap in the garage or uh, some webbing, all you have to do is fold it over, make a bunch of loops, and you're good. So you can make this thing for next to nothing. Or if you're not, you know, like you said, if you don't have a sewing machine or you're not real handy with that kind of stuff, you know, you send us 20 bucks and we'll send you one. Uh, whatever whatever works for the hunter, that's what, that's what we're really about. I mean, we'd almost rather you make it because we love guys that do DIY. It keeps you engaged in hunting year-round. It makes you pay attention to your gear. It gets you more creative when you start making your own stuff because you start seeing different ways you could reuse and multi-purpose items. So we love it when guys DIY stuff. So please, you know, copy our design, make it better, make it cooler, make it your own. That's totally fine with us. We encourage it. And uh, and then the last thing that we have coming out this fall is the Predator Pack, which is a small ultralight uh, early season pack designed around our Predator platform. So it's basically a sleeve that the Predator platform uh, was tailor-made for, and then it's full of Molly tabs as well, which you can connect anything you want. You can make this thing heavy, or you can keep it ultra-light and sleek. It really just depends on how you want to use it. It comes with detachable backpack straps, so if you want to use it independently of anything, you can throw it over your shoulders and wear it just like a backpack. Or if you'd rather attach it to your saddle or some other pack, you just use the molly tabs and attach it to your saddle that way or some other pack and you can get rid of those shoulder straps. It's a super versatile pack. It's very modular. um, And that's kind of what we believe in is being modular and use it when it makes sense and don't use it when it doesn't. So those are the three things that we've got coming out this fall. But we've got a lot of stuff in the works. Uh, 2020 is going to be a very busy year for Tether. I'm sorry, guys, but I I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't say, um, you know, you guys are coming out with all of this new stuff and you've made all of these changes and things are getting better. But for all the guys that say, where is my damn saddle? I ordered (laughs) it on such and such a day. I know I ordered mine last year. My mom did. I'm 38 years old. My mom ordered me one for Christmas in October. Uh, She actually called and threatened tethered and yes, uh, emailed back and forth and uh, we talked about this at ata so i mean maybe that helped if you guys uh, want my mom's number i can give that out to you <laughs> she can call <laughs> i i so, actually uh, think i remember your mom yeah i remember <laughs> uh no it's uh actually that's a really good question uh one of the things that we've been super concerned about is is that exact problem you know we've been kind of behind the eight ball since we opened our doors last year uh, and we take it serious, but it's like every time we increase production to keep up more people buy it. So what we did is we made some really big moves this year. Uh, One of those was we hired a man named Chris Harding. Uh, His whole job was to get our lead time down to a week. That's, we basically said, here's the deal. 
you're an expert in textiles, you're an expert in sewing factories and etc. You've got contacts everywhere. Go fix it. Make it so that uh, we don't run out of stuff. And if you have been paying attention at all to any of our shipping updates, we've gone from 12 weeks behind to roughly four to five weeks behind in less than a month. And let me let me interject there. That's not because it our our demand is still through the roof. I mean, we're selling more now than we ever have, but Chris has done such a good job of this stuff that, you know, that's what's really cutting down the, the wait times. Yeah. And we're, we're in a situation now where uh, every day is better than the day before. We're reducing lead times weekly. Uh, our goal still is to be down to one to two weeks by uh, middle of September. I think we're going to get there. Um, it's just one of those things where it was a, basically a year-long project that required lots of steps and lots of uh, moves along the way. And I think we're uh, finally starting to see some of those results and see that happening. Uh, you know, the last thing we wanted to do is make people wait for their stuff. And it sucks, we know. But we're getting her, we're getting her all dialed in. Um, one of the main reasons on some of these new products, why they are not available yet, is quite simply we don't want to get in that, that game again. So... When you uh, see that those products are available on our tethered website, it's because I've got them in boxes on the shelf ready to go. Uh, we just don't want to get behind again. So that's been the biggest delay in the new products is we went ahead and put the resources together to get all that stuff made so that it's ready to go. Well, that's awesome. And I mean, I think that's great information for, for guys, like I said, because like I said, I felt like I'd be remiss if I didn't say you know, what the hell's going on over there because, you know, people want their stuff when they order it. It's supposed to be in stock, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I guess you hit your mark of 50 that you guys wanted to sell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ernie, Ernie needs to tell that story about how, how uh, maybe, maybe did in the beginning, but about how we just wanted to sell a couple and, and get an elk on. Did you say that? Well, yeah. I mean, that was the thing. Greg and I, we're not businessmen. We're DIY saddle guys, right? And we're like, all right, this will be awesome. We'll come up with something. Maybe we can sell 50 of them, 100 of them. You know, if we did that and we and we played our cards right, you guys, or we can both get our saddle for free, and maybe in a year we'll have enough money that we can go on an elk hunt. Uh, that was really our goal. And when that bill came due for the first saddle order, uh we, we were terrified to order 200 pieces. Terrified. Because we were, we were like, what are we going to do if this doesn't work? And uh, like I said, we've been in the hole ever since. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, just this conversation and seeing you guys at ATA, um, it, it couldn't have happened to a, a nicer group of guys. I mean, it, it really sucks that you're so far behind the eight ball. But, I mean, that's a good problem to have, I guess, is, is – you know, you're selling and you're spreading the word about saddle hunting. And I think that that's, that can't be lost in this conversation is that you guys are saddle hunters first. And, you know, what Ernie just said, like not businessmen, it doesn't really matter. I don't think you guys really care if they buy a tethered saddle, if they sew one up themselves, as long as it's safe and, 
you know, if, if people are getting out there and getting uh, in the saddle, uh, so to speak, I think that that's where your guys' passion is and more power to them. And, you know, eventually they'll come around to, to your product because, you know, y- you feel that you're making what needed to be produced. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it couldn't be more true. I mean, we're a, we're a company full of saddle hunting maniacs. This is what we live and breathe when we're not doing it for work. We're at home on Facebook trying to help saddle hunters, or we're on uh, saddlehunter.com trying to help saddle hunters, or me and Jared are out making videos about how to how to be a better better saddle hunter. It's it really has overtaken our lives, and now our wives are getting involved. I was I just I Jared came up and he um he he came up to go with us down to Iowa to talk with the hunting public to do some video work. And this was his first trip since he just started this job just a few days ago. And so I sent, I sent his wife a message on Facebook and I said, Hey, thanks for letting Jared come. You know, he had a, we had a great time with him. And she says, I'm so jealous. I want to come. She said, next time you guys have a saddle hunting trip, I want to go. And uh, we're hanging out here with Ernie's wife, Val. And she's like one of the greatest human beings I've ever met in my life. And she loves it. It's just, it's turned into a truly a, an extended family kind of thing amongst all of us. Is it's, uh, it's, it's been a kind of a crazy ride, but you hit the nail on the head when you say that we are saddle hunters first. And if we happen to make some money along the way doing something that we would have done for free, well, that's cool too. And if we get to meet a lot of cool people and do a lot of cool hunts and get to go around and see a lot of cool things well that's awesome too but at the end of the day even if tether didn't exist we would still be making saddle hunting uh more accessible to the masses because that's kind of what all of our missions have kind of morphed into over the last few years is just that we want people to learn more about the system well and you guys going down there and and hanging out literally and figuratively with uh, the hunting public um, kind of leads me into kind of where I want to take this next. But first, um, you know, Ernie and Greg had an opportunity. They went and they, they came to Michigan, uh, hung out with Johnny Eberhardt, showed him the tethered saddles, but they actually got a chance to hunt in Michigan. So the great state, the great whitetail state, all of the <laughs> big bucks and everything of Michigan – um, I wanted to know how your experience was and versus your expectations versus kind of what what came uh, came next. Well, I mean, anytime you get to spend some time with John Eberhardt, you're smarter when you leave than when you get there. Uh, he is a wealth of knowledge of saddle hunting. He's a wealth of knowledge of deer hunting in general. And so it was really cool to be out on his property and, and pick his brain a little bit and ask some questions and, and ultimately sit in some of his stands that were prepped. I mean, I call them stands, but they're, they're just a bunch of railroad spikes and trees that you climb up and hang your tether from. But <laughs> to be able to hunt his properties and do that was just a huge, huge thing and a big learning curve for us. Now, that being said, John didn't put us in his A-plus stance. And, you know, we knew it, and he joked about it later. You know, he put us in the training wheel stands, basically the stands that uh, no matter how bad we screwed up the area with our scent control or our noise or our entrance or our exits or any of that, 
it wasn't really going to negatively affect his deer hunting that season. Um, but the fact that he even took us out was, was a huge blessing and whatever else, you know, and, and we kind of surprised John, you know, we went down there without really telling him what we were bringing and what we were doing, uh, and set up all of our cameras in his basement. And we said, all right, we're going to kind of do this live and see what kind of reaction we can get out of John. And we, we handed him the Manus saddle and, uh, the whole thing was, we're just going to film this and see what happens now. Thankfully, the reaction was good. Otherwise, you guys would have never seen the footage. And so uh, it went, It ended up being great. And, and John has been on Team Tethered ever since. And the hunting in Michigan, the deer that you saw versus what you your expectations were. I mean, obviously, being saddle hunters and, you know, coming to Michigan and seeing John Eberhardt is like that. That's I, I don't even know how to, like, create an analogy for that because, you know, he's a great hunter albeit forget the saddle, forget that it's Michigan. Um, but then knowing, you know, that experience is going to be great. But the, the hunting in Michigan, the deer population, all the things, you know, what did you think about the hunting experience? Well, first of all, Michigan is freaking beautiful. Like, I had never been to the state uh, until 2018, and I was blown away with how pretty it is. And then – we saw deer, like Ernie said. I mean, he put us in, he put us in the JV stands. I mean, or the trees. We weren't in the varsity trees, but you got to start somewhere. And I saw deer. I could have shot small bucks. I had a, I had a spike and a forkhorn come by that I could have shot. I had does come by that I could have shot. And this was all just in one afternoon on a random cornfield in a random place in Michigan. Um, so. It was an awesome experience for me. I kind of thought about shooting that little buck when he came in just to drag it out in front of John and act like I was so proud of it just to see what he would do. He probably would have ripped my head off. But it was uh, it was a great experience for me. I can't wait to go back and hunt Michigan again. Yeah, and it, I, the stories that you hear, I mean, if you pay attention to anything John says, he says, you know, the, the deer around him are highly pressured. And they don't survive, you know, they, to find a three-year-old deer in the area that he's in is a uh, kind of an anomaly. You're, you're looking for the needle in the haystack. Uh, so, I mean, our expectations of seeing monster deer just weren't there, but being able to see deer was fun. And, and so the, I think the, the value and like the, the best part about that hunt was seeing deer and hanging out with John and picking his brain and whatever else. Um, you know, the expectations weren't there to kill a big boner, but boy, we came out of there smarter than when we showed up. And so that's a great transition because, you know, you guys were out down hanging out with, uh, hunting public. And, uh, it was just announced recently that the public land challenge, whether that's, the hunting beast puts it on or the hunting public puts it on or whomever, um, is going to be in Michigan this year. And so there's going to be guys from tethered guys from the hunting public guys from the hunting beast, Dan and fall, you know, they're coming to Michigan to, you know, kind of duke it out, I guess, and walk into ground they've never been on and kind of test their metal there. So who are you guys sending back to Michigan and um, how do you think that whole thing's going to play out? Uh, and I, I have to imagine that that was part of your conversation today with the 
the hunting public guys. Yeah, we're sending our whole crew. Uh, we're going to stack the deck in our favor. I mean, you know what I mean? Why? Uh, we're not going to bring a knife to a gunfight, that's for sure. But, yeah, me and Ernie are going. Uh, Jared's going. A couple other guys from our team are going. Um, uh, Adrian Wilson and Ted Bright, a couple of guys that are just absolute killers, they're going to come up there with us. Now, the way that the, the challenge works, only you know one of us are going to be, quote, unquote, in the public land challenge, and that's going to be either me or Ernie. We'll represent Team, T- Team Tethered, and we'll probably flip-flop, to be honest. You know, he'll probably hunt for a few days and then I'll probably hunt for a few days and we'll switch off being cameraman or something like that. But then the rest of our crew, uh, they're going to be hunting in the same area, getting the same doing. They're basically going to be doing the same thing. They just won't be, you know, official entrance into the public land challenge. John had had shoulder surgery this year, so he is 99 percent not going to be able to hunt because he won't be able to draw his bow. Um, but John's going to be there. He's going to, he's going to help us create some content while we're there with, with Dan in fault and with, uh, the hunting public and the, all the, all the other folks that are going to be there. It's going to be a crazy time after talking with, with a lot of folks that I'm friends with now, uh, in Michigan with Andy Blair and Tim Clark and, uh, Mark Kenyon and Andy May and, and John Eberhardt, of course, we've kind of, we kind of feel like we have the lowdown on the area. Um, well, not the area because we don't really know what area we're going to just yet. But um, we we feel we feel confident that if we can find a two year old buck, uh, a, you know, a decent little hundred inch eight pointer, that we will have done something really well. So that's kind of where I've set my goals for that is that we can come out with something along those lines. And if not, it doesn't really matter because we're just there to have fun. And how often do you get to go and be in deer camp with Dan Infault? the hunting public and John Eberhardt. I mean, that just doesn't happen ever. It's never happened. So it's pretty cool that we're going to get to be a part of that. And, um, so you guys are going to be posting that ahead of time. So everybody can come hang out with you. It's going to be like one of these big, of course, come see us and, 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 and we'll show you all the, the saddle hunting tips and tricks, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've had multiple conversations with Zach, and we're, you know, he said, you know, we're going to come to Michigan. It's going to be at some point, and I'm really excited to see it. I mean, I don't know, uh, John and I and, and, you know, my father-in-law for sure, my father-in-law's hunted every single piece of public ground in Michigan north of the rifle line, it seems like, and it's just so hard to come by those really, really good bucks and to do that and have that great camp experience. Because I think when you come across those really, really good bucks, everybody is so close to the vest and they don't want anything to do with telling anybody. They don't want anybody around. They don't want anything. Um, so I think you guys are going to have a blast. And I really hope that Michigan is shown for, for, for what it is. And I think you're, um, spot on and your expectations, because I mean, John, what do you think? A hundred inch, eight point. I mean, I, I killed a three and a half inch eight point last year. Hundred three and a half inch. Uh, three and a, <laughs> three and a half year old. Excuse me. And I yeah, I killed a thirty five inch six point too. But I killed a, a three and a half year old eight point last year. He's a hundred and five. And I looked at my buddy's five and a half year old uh, nine point, and it was maybe. 110 
uh, with a broke off point. So I think you're spot on in like what you're looking for. Um, but it sounds like from the people that you talked about and talked to, that sounds like Southeast Michigan <laughs> because of the, uh, hundred inch two year old up in the Northern area is, uh, well, it's not going to be, is a the, really good deer. I'm going to, I'm going to show my Michigan ignorance here, but it's not going to be up in the top part of the mitt. We're not going to the, to the UP or anything like that, or way up high in the, in the mitten. We're, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be in the Southern part of the state. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, there, there are some, I mean, I think they killed the state record last year in the Southern part of Michigan is private land buck, but it was, I mean, it was just on the cover of like one of the big whitetail magazines. It, they killed a, a giant, um, down there. But, you know, I think, like I said, I think that's awesome that you guys are coming to Michigan and going to have that camp and just show the camaraderie. I mean, I think aside from the fact that you guys are, um, saddle hunters first and and good, good people versus businessmen or, or whatever. Um, I think we've gotten away a little bit from the, the deer camp aspect. And, and that's kind of try what we try to do on, on this podcast and our friends over at the, the deer hunter podcast kind of other, the same way is that it's more about sharing it with somebody. If you can't share it with anybody, it doesn't really matter. Um, and so to to come to Michigan for that deer camp experience, kind of like what you outlined, you know, that is amazing. And I hope you guys killed, you know, awesome representative bucks for the state of Michigan. And I'm really looking forward to following along with it. And where can people follow along with, uh, with that? If that, if that's, what's going to do, who's going to be showcasing and, and where can they find that? So we'll be, We'll be putting out content on all of our social media channels. So, tethered, you can pretty much follow Tethered Nation uh, anywhere. Tethered Nation is Facebook. Tethered Nation is Instagram, and Tethered Nation is YouTube. We're bringing Jared with us. He's he's coming with us, and he's our he's our media guru. He's the wizard behind the camera and the editing machine. He's our he's the Tethered Media Director. So, he and I will kind of be tag teaming nightly content. So, we're gonna follow the same kind of storyline that the public land challenge did last year where they were feverishly collecting content and editing and getting it posted daily if not every other day so we're going to do the same thing so the best place to follow along with the challenge is going to be the hunting public youtube channel and uh tethered nation youtube channel um but there's going to be so much content coming out of this we're talking about doing podcasts and all kind of stuff so it's going to be a blast Oh, it sounds like it. And I really hope um, that Jared isn't the only uh, East Coast guy that you're going to be bringing with you because we drank 10,000 beers with uh, with B- Billy and Taylor. <laughs> and uh, I, I I considered, and I actually talked to Walt, you know, uh, Walt over at uh, Chasing Tales Podcast. Um, Tethered is their uh, title sponsor now. And I've been dealing with Walt. You know, if you follow along with the podcast, I, you know, Walt and I are, are what I'd consider friends, even though my wife's like, this guy wants to wear your skin. You don't even know who he is. He's a real person. Because <laughs> um, that's how the podcasting world goes. Um, but I, I even told Walt, I was like, I really wanted to get 
Taylor in on this call just to do the intro, like to talk to you guys and then be like, all right, I'm going to hit record and then have Taylor do the the intro just to mess with you guys. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I hope you bring one of those two out this way. They're invited. Obviously, they're invited. They're part of the crew. We love Taylor and Billy. Those guys are, you know, great dudes and super fun to be around. So they would abs- – they're absolutely invited. I don't know if they can make it work around their schedule, but, yep, definitely invited. Yeah, and you're right. I uh, You got to bring your professional drinking shoes to drink with those guys because uh, <laughs> they know what they're doing. Yeah, they've they've been down that road a time or two. It's kind of like killing deer for them, just one after another. Yeah. So, <laughs> but guys, I I really appreciate you taking the time, and I, I you know I feel really uh, bad. You know, it's taken this long to kind of get together and, and come together on this. But like I said, I, this wasn't your typical saddle hunting podcast where you know this is a tether and this is a platform and this is what you need. Um, I, I wanted to hear from you guys and and kind of what the problems were and in your experiences and, you know, kind of everything about, about the company, because I really do uh, appreciate the organic nature and the genuineness that, that comes from it. And it, it sucks, you know, in, in, in some degree that, you know, you don't hit your, you know, somebody wants to order it on a Friday and they got to hunt on Sunday and they don't get their stuff because Amazon's created that, so, uh, you know, that part of it sucks, but you guys, your hearts are in the right place and, and you're doing it for all the right reasons. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to showcase on this podcast. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time. It's been a long day, long weekend, long, you know, everything for you guys. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us tonight. Well, I'm super glad we finally made it work out. Like you said, we've been trying to have this thing, this podcast forever. And then we even got to hang out with you guys quite a bit at, up at ATA, which hopefully you guys are going again this year. Um, and if you are, we'll link up again. It's going to be closer to you this year because it's in Indianapolis, right? You guys, hopefully you're planning on going. And if you do, make sure you link up with us so we can hang out and have some more beer with Taylor and Billy. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're doing everything that we can. We're going to get in on those tethered tickets, right? We'll just send you guys a check. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks a lot. You know, like I said, you guys, I, I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, Tether Nation YouTube, Tethered on, on Instagram and, you know, uh, everything else you guys have going on. I don't know how much, you know, Jared, are you still producing content now that you're on the payroll or or is everything going to be tethered? Everything all at once. So it's, it's something I got to figure out still. But, uh, yeah, there's going to be a ton of stuff coming out this fall for Tethered. So it's... Uh, it's going to be exciting stuff. So, And where can people follow along with you? Yeah, so I'm Flinging Arrows on YouTube and also Hunt Appalachia. So Hunt Appalachia is me and my good buddy Grant. And um, we take a more lighthearted approach to things. We don't take ourselves very seriously, but um, we knock down some deer and put out some pretty decent videos, I think. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the three, three things I got going on right now. Awesome awesome well again thank you guys so much and and we do truly appreciate it and we look forward to following along and um and and seeing you again uh down in indianapolis absolutely can't wait thanks all right thanks guys thanks
Shut up and sit down.